With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Thanks for listening to the Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in Monday edition Outkick the Coverage. I hope all of you are having fantastic mornings as you get a new week started wherever across the country you may be. We are coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Uh, As well, we're brought to you by Discover Card. We treat you like you treat you and we have got a ton of stories to dive into after a weekend of college football. And after a weekend of the NFL, we start with Sunday night football, as we frequently do for those of you who may have gone to sleep or didn't really finish it off. The Minnesota Vikings got a much needed win in the NFC North, and they came close. I know the Packers don't have a very difficult remaining schedule, but they came very close to eliminating Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers from playoff contention. The Packers fall to 4-6-1 and one with a 24-17 uh, defeat. The Minnesota Vikings climb to 6-4-1, and one, bouncing back after the tough loss on the road against the Chicago Bears on Sunday night football. The Bears' control of the division. It feels like a long time ago uh, since the Bears won on uh, the early game against the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. But the Bears now sitting at 8-3. and three. They are 5-1 and one at home. And down the stretch, they have a substantial lead in the NFC North. But the Minnesota Vikings at least serve notice that they potentially could stay in that race in the NFC North. Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy, lots of questions about what's going to happen with those guys going forward. Here is what it sounded like when Kirk Cousins threw the winning touchdown pass the Minnesota Vikings win 24-17. Here was Cousins' final touchdown pass that won the game. 
Kirk rolls out to the right. He can run for a bunch if he wants it, but he throws. Caught the Allen at the five. Reaches for the goal stripe. That is, uh, I'm assuming, the Minnesota Vikings radio network. We are going to go through now everything that happened in the NFL. I'll try and get you set for all that will transpire. But again, the Sunday Night Football uh, big takeaway is the Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers relationship over. It might well be unless the Packers can get on a hot streak and really win out and then get some hope to make it in as a wild card team. They've got the Cardinals, who are awful, coming to Green Bay. That should be a win, let's be honest. The Packers, a couple of touchdown favorites in that game. Then the Falcons come to Green Bay. The Falcons seem to have mailed things in with uh, with everything that has happened to them so far. They had their maybe last stand against uh, the Saints on Thanksgiving night, and they lost. The, pa- the Falcons are sitting at 4-7. and seven. Uh, Then the Packers go on the road at the Bears. I think that's effectively going to be the game where the Packers' season comes falling down around them because I think the Bears are going to win, although Aaron Rodgers obviously has had a lot of success in Chicago. Then the Jets uh, are awful. They're trying to lock up a high-round draft pick. You would think the Jets will lose. And then the uh, Lions come to Green Bay to finish off the season. So the Packers do have a very favorable schedule remaining, but 9-6-1 Probably, probably not good enough to, uh, to to make the playoffs. The Minnesota Vikings, by the way, were my Super Bowl pick before the season started. Vikings get a big win to get to 6-4-1. and one. They really needed it because they go on the road now against the Patriots. You have to assume the Vikings are going to lose that game, although the Patriots, uh, they weren't that great against the Jets. We'll talk about them in a little bit. Then the Vikings go on the road against the Seahawks. Yikes. Uh, those are two really difficult games back-to-back. Seahawks got a big win on the road against the Panthers. So the Vikings had to win this game as well. I really don't feel that strong about the Vikings' playoff chances either because then the Dolphins, okay, maybe Tannehill will eventually be back. We'll see what happens there. Then they go on the road against the Lions. Uh, Then the Bears come to town to finish the Vikings with a really difficult closing five. So that is the Sunday night football game. What about the rest of the NFL games? What did we learn over uh, the weekend. Well, we'll start uh, Thanksgiving because we didn't do a show. I hope you guys had fabulous Thanksgivings, a good long weekend. Everybody got rested up, ate a lot of turkey, had a good time, got some naps. Uh, the Bears uh, beat the Lions uh, on Thanksgiving in the early game. Then the uh, the Cowboys, now in first place. First place, Dallas Cowboys, sounds crazy to say. Uh, took care of the Redskins and the Saints took down the Falcons. I think the Saints are the best team in the NFL right now. I think the Saints uh, of those games, I think the Saints are in better position than anybody else in the NFL. I think they are the best team. And interestingly enough, Thursday, just a couple of days from now, it's a pretty good game. Saints going on the road against the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys look like they have control right now of the NFC East, but we'll see what happens in that game. Then the Saints go on the road, get a revenge game against the Bucks. I feel good about the Saints getting that game. Uh, Saints then go on the road against the Panthers, who are suddenly uh, losers of three straight, and uh, they close out with the Steelers and uh, the Panthers again, both at home in New Orleans. I feel pretty good. Right now, I have a futures ticket on the New Orleans Saints. I think they are the best team in all of the NFL. The Cowboys, I said they're in first place in the NFC East. I think they will lose on Thursday against the Saints. Uh, And then uh, you look at the rest of their schedule, though, 
and you don't necessarily feel like, you know what, that's a, that's four that the Cowboys can win, even assuming they lose to the Saints. They got the Eagles coming to town, which is an elimination game for the Eagles. Could be for first place, by the way, in the NFC East, depending on what happens. Then they've got to go on the road against the Colts, the newly resurgent Colts. Weren't as good against the Dolphins, but found a way to get a win. Colts sitting at 6-5. and five. Then the Bucks, uh, they're awful. And then the uh, the Giants are basically mailing it in. So Cowboys, uh, you do feel pretty good about the NFC East. That's a reaction to what happened on Thursday with the Thanksgiving Day games. What about everything else? Bucks get a win over the 49ers, most irrelevant game in the NFL on Sunday. Uh, not uh, very important one way or the other. The Patriots, you know what? Just not. They didn't look Patriots-like against the Jets, even though they won by a couple of touchdowns. I expected them to come out and be more dominant. Offense looked okay, but you're going into late in the third quarter in a tie game with the Jets. I just I didn't feel like the Patriots took the next step coming off a of bye week and looked phenomenal. Having said that, Patriots are 8-3, and three, and they are the, uh, the team – to beat, as always, in the NFC East. They've basically locked up the NFC East for another season. And uh, down the stretch, we'll see how they do. That Patriots-Steelers game uh, close to Christmas is looming as a massive, massive game for them because the Patriots finish out. They've only got five games left, and they finish out with the Bills and the Jets at home in uh, Foxborough. And uh, that's just, uh, I, I don't know. I just don't see a lot of, uh, of difficulty on this schedule. I think there's a good chance that potentially the uh, the bye, the number two seed overall, comes down to that game against the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Still feel good about the Chiefs, the way they looked, even in defeat uh, most recently against uh, the Rams. I think the Chiefs, you have to be pretty optimistic about them being able to grab home field advantage in uh, in the uh, AFC. Uh, all right, the, uh, the Giants and the Eagles. Giants get up big, have a chance to officially put a uh, – a bullet in the Eagles season. Can't quite do it. The Eagles staying alive in the uh, NFC East. Uh, the Ravens. Lamar Jackson, it's it's intriguing to think about what he's capable of. Uh, the Raiders continue to be awful, but Lamar Jackson is such an intriguing player. I tend to feel like when you look at his overall performance, I tend to feel like Lamar Jackson is not going to be able to maintain what he is doing right now. He's not even playing that well in the passing game, 14-25, 178 yards, but he had more success running the football. He only had 11 carries this week, but 11 carries for 71 yards. The Ravens, they needed to win two in a row at home, and they have done it. Now we'll find out whether or not they're legitimate playoff contenders. They go on the road against the Falcons. We don't feel like the Falcons have a very good defense. And then they go on the road against the Chiefs. So uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll see what uh, transpires there. But the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, certainly an entertaining team to watch. We'll see whether NFL defenses get a read on what Lamar Jackson can do. I always say that when you're a rookie quarterback, if you come out and you play decently early, it's hard to prepare for a rookie quarterback because there's not a lot of tape on them. And then as all these mad geniuses in the NFL start to break down all the tape, they say, oh, you know what? Maybe Lamar Jackson will make him do this. He seemed to have a little bit of failure with this level of his game. And eventually they figure out what you don't do well and they make you do it over and over and over again. I'm not sure the NFL defenses have enough tape yet on Lamar Jackson, but I would think down the stretch, depending on how long he's going to be the quarterback, uh, eventually that will uh, occur. Uh, the Bills got a win over the Jags. The Jags have completely fallen apart. 
I don't know if you guys saw the Leonard Fournette fight getting kicked out of the game. This has to be driving Tom Coughlin crazy. The, uh, the, the, the Jags have lost. This is wild. It's hard to remember now, but the Jags were at one point sitting at 3-1, and one, coming off a huge win over the New England Patriots, and everybody was talking about the Jags as legitimate Super Bowl contenders. Maybe they're the best team in the AFC. Since then, they have lost seven games in a row. The Bills, not very good, but Josh Allen, who got insulted in the offseason by Jalen Ramsey, gets his revenge uh, with a 14-yard run in the fourth quarter. Bills beat the Jags, and the Jags, I I don't know what the solution is going to be for the Jags, all right? But the Jags now are sitting at 3-8. and It feels like they basically have mailed the season in. Uh, They've got a couple of division games coming up against the Colts and the Titans, Uh, Then they go on the road against the Redskins. I mean, their season is over. But the question, I think, that's hanging out here, and I think it's a good one, is what's Tom Coughlin going to do about the Jags? It seems clear that Blake Bortles is not the answer for Jacksonville. I think if there's anybody out there who is still a, yeah, Blake Bortles can be a high-level quarterback in this league, he was 12 for 23 for 127 yards with two, two, two INTs against the Bills. I mean, as bad as Josh Allen has been, Josh Allen outperformed Blake Bortles at quarterback. Leonard Fournette, undisciplined enough to get kicked out of the game, even though he's the offensive heavyweight uh, for Jacksonville. This has to be driving Tom Coughlin crazy. I would expect for there to be a certain level of house cleaning in the offseason for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Probably going to finish 5-11, and 4-12, something like that down the stretch. This is an ugly, ugly team that has completely fallen apart. A year after we thought this is a young team that can go after the Super Bowl, the Jags completely fallen apart. The Bills, it's hard to have much of a read of what they're capable of. Josh Allen was not very good. 175-yard touchdown pass. He made over 100 yards rushing. He's athletic. But ultimately, athletic quarterbacks don't get it done in the NFL. You have to prove that you can be a pocket passer. Got to be that third down converter on some level. But Four and seven, the Bills aren't incredibly awful. The Jags are incredibly awful. Seven straight defeats. I don't know how that ends. The Seahawks, I don't know how this ends either. It looked like the Panthers were in great shape. They were sitting at six and two. Cam Newton was having an MVP caliber season. Christian McCaffrey is still playing at a very high level. So is Cam Newton, who performed at a high level again, but... The Seahawks go on the road and get the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers have now lost three games in a row and a season that seemed like it had so much optimism as a return-to-glory season for Cam Newton and the Panthers. They now are up against it in terms of being able to make the playoffs. They really probably need to go 4-1 and down the stretch. Lots of division games still to come. They've got to play the Saints twice in the final three weeks of the season. Maybe the best thing they could have going for them is that the final week of the season, the Saints might have already locked up home field advantage. But, man, uh, this is not a particularly easy schedule down the stretch. When you're sitting at 6-5, and if you figure that you're not going to beat the Saints, that drops you all the way to best-case scenario 9-7. and 9-7, and probably not going to be good enough to make the playoffs, although we'll see exactly what happens. Meanwhile, if you're the Seahawks, you got to be ecstatic. This team is coming around, gets a big win on the road 
against the Panthers. Graham Gano made a 63-yarder earlier this season. Now his kicking has started to desert uh, the Carolina Panthers. They're losing close games. This was, I thought, one of the most intriguing games of the day, even though uh, it's probably not a game that's going to matter very much in the grand scheme of things. Hugh Jackson can't win with the Cleveland Browns. Gets fired. I thought this was an indefensible move on behalf of Hugh Jackson. You cannot go to work for another team after you got fired during the season and become an offensive coordinator-ish for the Cincinnati Bengals and coach against your former team. That just violates, to me, all precepts of football. And Baker Mayfield said as much. He said you can't stand in the locker room and encourage us to play as hard as we can for you and then in the same season go coach against us. Well, Hugh Jackson got his ass kicked by Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns, and Baker Mayfield was phenomenal. Baker Mayfield, two of the best games back-to-back for a rookie. It's been a long offseason of about 20 years, it feels like, searching or more, searching for a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield may finally be the answer. Now, I'm coming around on how good Baker Mayfield has been. I don't know if you've been watching him play how you could not. The performance that he put forward, 19-26, four touchdowns, uh, over 140 passer rating after going over 140 last week too. The Browns, dare we say it, actually a pretty decent football team. They get the win. The Bengals fall to 5-6. and six. The Bengals falling out of uh, the playoff race, I think. Injury to Andy Dalton. Marvin Lewis is never going to get fired because evidently he's never going to be fired by, by the ownership there in Cincinnati. He would have been fired years ago if he were actually going to be held to a high standard. But I thought the post-game uh, refusal of Baker Mayfield to give Hugh Jackson a hug. If you haven't seen that video, that's phenomenal. How about Hugh Jackson getting given the interception ball? This was a team that was fired up to go against their former coach. I don't know how you bounce back if you're Hugh Jackson from the beatdown that they took. That was an utter, utter embarrassment for the Cincinnati Bengals, for Hugh Jackson to get whipped by the team that wasn't good enough to win while he was there. This is, uh, I think, becoming a pretty fun team to watch in the Cleveland Browns. And for next season, as Baker Mayfield continues to show so so many flashes of brilliance, I don't think there's any doubt that Baker Mayfield has been the best rookie quarterback so far among all of the uh, the draft picks. Making John Dorsey and the Cleveland Browns look like geniuses so far is Baker Mayfield. I know it's earlier, early, but he's been a lot better than Josh Allen. He's been better than Sam Darnold. He's been better than Lamar Jackson. He's been better than Josh Rosen. So far, the rookie quarterback debate being won by Baker Mayfield, who may end up giving a run at Saquon Barkley for overall uh, rookie of the year. Chargers get a win. Phillip Rivers virtually fantastic. Chargers now surge to 8-3. and three. They're not that far back. May surprise a lot of people. Not that far back in the AFC West right now. Phillip Rivers having the best game of his career. He was 25 for 25 at one point against the Arizona Cardinals, just putting on an offensive clinic. He and... Uh, Drew Brees, both older guys that are posting the best seasons of their career. In fact, I think Phillip Rivers would be a bigger story were it not for how good Drew Brees has been and the fact that Drew Brees has basically, assuming he stays healthy, 
locked up the uh, the NFL MVP so far on the season. The Colts mentioned him earlier. They continue to roll. They've gotten to six and five. My guy Sal on Lock It In, the television show that I do, took him at twenty to one when he looked at the rest of their schedule. Is it possible that the Colts could run the table? That might sound like a crazy question, but here's what the Colts have left in the final five. The Jags. The Jags seem like they basically have quit. We'll see whether or not that continues. The Colts could go on the road, beat the Jags in Jacksonville. We'll see what happens there. The Texans, the Colts are every bit as good as the Texans. Uh, The Texans, by the way, obviously play tonight against the Titans. Big game for them. If the Texans could win to get to 8-3, and that would effectively grab control of that division completely would also kick the Titans down the standings quite a bit. On the flip side, if the Titans could go on the road and beat the Texans, Titans get to six and five, Texans seven and four, everything is open down the stretch in that race. By the way, the Colts then go uh, host the Cowboys. That's a tough game, but certainly a winnable game. Then they get the Giants, very winnable game there. And then the Colts go on the road against the Titans to finish the season. Could that be a monumental game? in either the division race or the uh, AFC wildcard, certainly. And you'd have to feel good about that if you are the Colts because Andrew Luck is 10-0 and against the Tennessee Titans. He owns the Tennessee Titans. Uh, that could be a massive game to, uh, to finish off the season. And finally, the Steelers. My argument is here, we have only really three good teams in the NFL. Three good teams that you can rely on week in and week out in the NFL as we come up on completing the 11th game of the season. Those are the New Orleans Saints, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the LA Rams. Otherwise, the other 29 teams in the NFL have all given you a reason not to believe in them. In other words, there is as much of a reason not to believe in the other 29. Yes, I'm including the Steelers who lost, which is why I'm putting them there. The Broncos have bounced back and put themselves into potentially wild card contention with a couple of wins for Vance Joseph uh, over two really good teams. They beat the uh, Chargers, and now they've beaten the Broncos. Uh, now they've beaten the Steelers in back-to-back weeks. And both of those teams now, the Chargers and the Steelers, have given you reasons not to believe in them. Maybe you could believe in the Patriots historically. I think if you look at what they've done on the field, the losses that the Patriots have posted have given you a reason not to believe in them. Certainly on the road, the Patriots have not been the same team by and large. Got absolutely destroyed by the Titans, lost to the Jags. I'm not necessarily buying in, and certainly to the uh, the Lions as well. All three of those performances, not that good. You know that the uh, Patriots are unlikely to get home field advantage, although we'll see what happens in the final five weeks of the season. At some point, they're going to have to go on the road and leave Foxborough, and they have not been that impressive on the road so far this season. All right, that is the rundown of the NFL, breaking down every game, giving you my impressions of everything that took place in the NFL yesterday. When we return, I'll dive into college football. Urban Meyer destroys Jim Harbaugh. What did it tell us about the college football playoff picture? I will break all that down for you. This is Outkick the Coverage. I appreciate all of you spending your Monday morning with us. And let me tell you, everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning. Pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket. It just may be the most rewarding to-do you do today. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. 
Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, a list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Let me go ahead and bring in Eddie Garcia, and then on the backside here, I will break down the college football playoff picture and discuss Urban Meyer's ownership of Jim Harbaugh and the University of Michigan's football program. But first, Eddie Garcia, what you got for me? Well, Clay, great news first. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on your car insurance. On the Geico scoreboard from the NFL Sunday night, Vikings over the Packers 24-17. Minnesota now 6-4-1 with that win. Kirk Cousins, their quarterback, at 342 yards passing and three touchdowns. Green Bay now 4-6-1 with the loss and 0-6 on the road this year. In the late action, Broncos beat the Steelers 24-17. Pittsburgh's six-game winning streak was snapped. Chargers over the Cardinals 45-10. L.A. improves to 8-3. And, and quarterback Phillip Rivers completed his first 25 passes of the game. Finished 28-29 of 29 passing with three scores. Colts over the Dolphins 27-24. Indianapolis wins it on a last-second field goal. They've won five straight are now 6-5 and five on the year. Andrew Luck, three touchdown passes for the eighth straight game. Early games, Broncos, or excuse me, uh, Browns beat the Bengals 35-20. Cleveland snapping a 25-game road losing streak. And Baker Mayfield. Field had four touchdown passes for Cleveland. Seahawks on a last-second field goal beat the Panthers 30-27. That's Carolina's first home loss of the year. Eagles get a last-second field goal to beat the Giants 25-22. Patriots are 8-3. They beat the Jets 27-13. Tom Brady, 283 yards passing. He passes Peyton Manning for the most passing yards all time. Ravens over the Raiders 34-17. Lamar Jackson now 2-0 as a starting quarterback for Baltimore. He had a touchdown pass and a touchdown run. Bills over the Jaguars 24-21. That's seven straight losses for Jacksonville. Josh Allen back at quarterback for Buffalo. He had a TD pass and a TD run. And the Buccaneers beat the 49ers 27-9. That's now 0-6 on the road for San Francisco this season. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more competent car buying experience. Back to Clay Travis in the Geico Outkick the Coverage Studios. We are indeed here live in the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Listen closely, because it happens rarely. I was 100% wrong. I believed in the Michigan Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh, and I was wrong. I believed in their defense, and I was wrong. I believed that they were an elite team in college football, and I was wrong. Sometimes games occur. And you have to go back and re-examine everything that you believed about a team or a program. If Michigan had gone out and they had lost 17-14 to to Ohio State in a hard-fought, close football game, I would have said, you know what, Ohio State got the better of them, but I don't really feel that much differently than I did about Michigan football before that game actually took place. The way that Ohio State picked apart decimated and destroyed Michigan to me convinces me that I was wrong about the Wolverines all season long that they were in fact a paper tiger that they were not and are not anything other than maybe a top 25 team I don't even think Michigan's a top 10 team I think this is about the overall weakness of the Big Ten with the way that they got beat down when you allow 62 points and you enter into this game As the number one defense in college football, something is not adding up. 
The answer is Michigan was never a number one defense. Ohio State made them look slow. They made them look undisciplined. They made them look thoroughly average. And so you go back and you look now, I think this is what you have to do in the wake of what we saw happen in the game between Michigan and Ohio State. You have to go back and you have to look at Michigan's overall schedule. And what do you uncover? Effectively, Michigan played a lot of really bad offensive teams all season long and built up a a, a, a colossal house in the clouds of a defense that had no foundation and would have been exposed on an incredibly drastic degree if they had actually made the college football playoff. Oklahoma might have scored 100 points on them. Alabama would have never stopped running up and down the field. Clemson, Georgia, all of the other teams that right now we are considering as college football playoff teams would have exposed and embarrassed the Michigan Wolverines. Jim Harbaugh doesn't have that good of a defense. He had a great schedule. Remember, they lost to Notre Dame in week one of this season, and they lost to Brandon Wimbush before Notre Dame even went to Ian Book. Who's the best quarterback that Michigan played all season? You go back and look at their schedule, there weren't any offenses at all on that Michigan schedule. The best quarterback they played all year was Trace McSorley from Penn State. In fact, you can argue pretty soundly the only team that Michigan has played all year that's any good that they beat was Penn State. That's literally the only team. I mean, when you go back and look at this Michigan schedule now, you definitely have to re-examine it in light of everything that happened against Ohio State. And I think you have to go back and look and say, man, Michigan got to play against a lot of really mediocre to bad quarterbacks. When they played a decent team against Notre Dame, they lost. When they played a decent team against Ohio State, they got run. The only decent team that Michigan played all season and beat was Penn State. It's the only top 25 win right now they have on the entire year. We thought it was a big statement win when they beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin is awful. The Big Ten as a group only has right now three teams that are in the uh, in the rankings in the Big Ten East. And I'm not even really counting the Big Ten West because Northwestern is there, but Northwestern is thoroughly mediocre. They lost to Akron. Northwestern almost beat Michigan too. Remember, they were up 17 to nothing on that game. We were like, oh, maybe it was just Michigan didn't come ready to play. No, maybe Michigan's just kind of like Northwestern. They're somewhere around the 20th best team in college football, and we got bamboozled into believing that they were a top team. If anything, if you're a Wolverine fan, at least you didn't get humiliated in the college football playoff. You got humiliated by Ohio State instead. I still don't think Ohio State is that good. I think they're somewhere around the 10 to 15 best team in college football, but I think they're a lot better than Michigan. I think that's what you have to take away from that performance. I mean, we're talking about an Ohio State team that gave up 49 to Purdue, a 6-6 six and six Purdue team, and lost by 29 to them. We're talking about an Ohio State team that last week gave up 51 points 
and to Maryland, who had a wide-open two-point conversion play that should have been an easy touchdown pass, easy two-point conversion play to actually go ahead and end that game and end Ohio State's chances in the playoff. Now, I was wrong about Urban Meyer. I thought that he was going to lose to Jim Harbaugh. Looking at Michigan right now, there are no excuses you can make if you are a Michigan Wolverine fan. For a long time, people said, well, all it takes, Jim Harbaugh has got to get a quarterback. Well, I always say, if you don't have a quarterback, that's your fault. That's why you recruit. That's why you develop talent. We're in year four for Michigan. The fact that Jim Harbaugh still didn't have a quarterback was not a flaw of the larger college football universe. It was a flaw of Jim Harbaugh's coaching and recruiting. Well, he brings in Shea Patterson. There are no more excuses left for Jim Harbaugh or Michigan. They went 10-2. and two. Congratulations, they finally finished second in the Big Ten East. But the gap between them and Ohio State was massive this year. You played three top 25 teams right now at the end of the season. You went one and two in those games. You lost to Notre Dame, even without Ian Book at quarterback, and you got destroyed by Ohio State. Urban Meyer now is 4-0 against Jim Harbaugh head-to-head. This was, I think, a sobering and eye-opening loss for Michigan people because the one thing you thought you could hang your hat on was your defense, and you were just flat-out wrong. That defense was old and slow, it looked like, against Ohio State. They picked you apart all game long. You'll lose a game, sometimes it happens to a rival. You'll lose and give up 62 points, you have major structural foundational issues in your program that aren't close to allowing you to compete at a championship level. I thought Michigan was close to taking the baton from Ohio State as the best program in the Big Ten. I was wrong. Ohio State is still the dominant class of the Big Ten, and Jim Harbaugh is still the little brother of Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer beat down Michigan like I I haven't ever seen Urban Meyer beat down Michigan. I mean, yeah, there we go. Homer Simpson voice. That was as bad of a beatdown as Michigan has ever taken in this rivalry. And with all the stakes up for grabs here, with everything that Michigan and Jim Harbaugh believed they were playing for, to show up and get beat down like this, I'm sorry, it doesn't make me think remotely that Jim Harbaugh is close to contending for a national championship. Because what Ohio State did to Michigan, Alabama would have done. Clemson would have done. Uh, certainly Georgia would have done. Oklahoma would have done. All of the teams that are right now in the mix to compete for a national championship at a really high level have elite offensive talent. I'm going to talk about that when we come back. I'll tell you the college football playoff picture. I'll also open up the phone lines. If any Ohio State or Michigan fans want to react, I started off this season saying that Jim Harbaugh was the most overrated coach in college football history. You know what? I was right then. I should have never bought into Michigan. I should have stuck to my guns until Michigan actually proved that they could beat Ohio State. 
I should have stuck to it. I didn't. I bought into the hype. That's on me. I was wrong. Michigan, still a fraud. Jim Harbaugh, still incapable of proving that his team is good enough to contend for a championship. I'm telling you right now, I have zero faith in Jim Harbaugh and in Michigan, and Jim Harbaugh remains the most overrated coach in all of college football. 877-996-6369. I'll dive in and give you a picture uh, for the college football playoff. Where are we headed? Who's going to make it? Which six teams are still alive? And how will you break down those six teams as they head into the conference championship games? I'll tell you, this is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Nate Dogg and Warren G. bringing us back into the 1990s as we return final segment, Hour 1. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. A message from Welch's Grape Juice. There are over 400 crushed, decimated, and pulverized grapes crammed into each bottle of Welch's Grape Juice, which pretty much leaves no room for anything else. No added sugars, no added flavors, and definitely no mercy. The world's toughest antioxidants, Welch's toughest grapes. Uh, the other thing I would say about the, uh, the Michigan-Ohio State game, at what point do you question whether a game is still a rivalry? I think that's something that has to be reexamined on a regular basis. You can have a historic rivalry. There's no doubt that historically Michigan and Ohio State is a rivalry. When you are one in your last 14, oh, one in your last 15, Michigan has won one game and they have lost 14 in this rivalry, 14 of the last 15 games. That's not a rivalry. It's not. When you have never beaten Urban Meyer, it's not a rivalry. It's a historic rivalry. Oh, back in the 90s, that was really a a challenging game. When you have not won in Columbus, Ohio since 2000, you've won once this century, and we're coming up on 20 years in that century, it's not a rivalry. To me, a rivalry requires you don't know what's going to happen whenever these two teams play. Historically, if you make the the, the, the landscape, oh, we're going to include the 1940s and the 1960s, the 1980s, all those things, since the last 15 years, there are kids today that are growing up that are in high school and they don't really remember Michigan ever beating Ohio State. It's not a rivalry. It's a historic rivalry. It's not a present-day rivalry. There are lots of examples of that. Tennessee-Alabama, it's a historic rivalry. It's not a rivalry right now. Tennessee's never beaten Nick Saban. If you have never beaten the head coach of the opponent, and they have been there a long time, not a rivalry. Urban Meyer owns Michigan. The game may be a rivalry historically, not Right now, we just saw Alabama and Auburn play. Gus Malzahn has beaten Nick Saban, and he's beaten him in crippling, debilitating fashion. The kick six, that's a rivalry game. The beatdown that Auburn put on Alabama last year that almost cost Alabama a chance to play for the national championship, that's a rivalry win. You can't go back historically and say, well, in 1988, we played a really good game. That's why this one in 2018 is so popular and so powerful. No. 
The kids playing today virtually have no recollection of it. The people who are going to sign, the kids who are going to sign scholarship papers, either in December for college football or in February in 2019, do you know what their record of remembrance is? Maybe, maybe they can think all the way back to 2008 or 2009. That's their frame of reference. Really, they probably weren't paying attention to games until like 2012, 2011. You telling them that something happened in 1988 is like when we were kids, you telling me something happened in 1954. It's like Brown versus Board of Education to them. They got no historical framework for it in their relevant mind. Urban Meyer is 4-0 against Jim Harbaugh. Urban Meyer has never lost to Michigan. Michigan does not have a rivalry with Ohio State while Urban Meyer is there. Really, Michigan did not have a rivalry with Ohio State while Jim Tressel was there. Michigan really doesn't have a rivalry with Ohio State right now. You lose 14 out of 15, that ain't a rivalry. Might have a historic rivalry. Might be able to say, hey, remember that team we had that was really good back in 1994? Boy, we really took it to Michigan then. Michigan, we really took it to Ohio State then. Nobody cares. 15 years, you've won one game. That ain't a rivalry. Would Michigan say, you know what's a real rivalry? Us against Indiana. No. Would Michigan say, hey, you know what we get really fired up to play every year? You know, in Michigan, that game we really can't wait for? Maryland. No. That's basically how Ohio State looks at you right now. You're Maryland to them, except less competitive. Because Maryland was thrown into the end zone with a chance to win. You guys just got your ass kicked. All right, I'll give you the college football playoff picture when we come back. I am Clay Travis. We'll open up the phone lines, give you guys a chance to react to the NFL and to college football. But I will break down for you perfectly the six teams still alive for the college football playoff and what they need to be able to advance to the playoff next year on OutKick. Thanks for spending your Monday with us. Live from the Geico OutKick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. And it's never a good look when you untuck a long, bulky dress shirt. That's why Untuck It makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked, go to untuckit.com to see the new fall arrivals. Untuckit.com, your solution to perfecting casual. Use promo code CLAY for 20% savings. Here's a, uh, We're breaking down the college football playoff picture for you here, and I'm about to, uh, to, to make it simple for everybody out there. You can, by the way, uh, hop on the phones if you want to, 877-996-6369. My argument is that a rivalry requires... A rivalry requires that you could win the game. Something Michigan can't do. In fact, going all the way back to 2004, all right, there are right now kids out there as we approach 2019 that are about to be able to drive cars that have never seen Michigan beat Ohio State when Ohio State had a full-time head coach. The only win since 2003 that Michigan has gotten over Ohio State, going all the way back 
to December of 2003 to now is when they beat Luke Fickle by six points, 40-34 to in 2011 in Ann Arbor. Didn't beat Jim Trestle. Didn't beat Urban Meyer. For years and years and years, you have to go all the way back to 2003 to the last time Michigan beat Ohio State with a full-time Ohio State head coach. Not a rivalry. Maryland has beaten Michigan more frequently than Michigan has beaten Ohio State. Michigan's rival is Michigan State. That's a team you can occasionally beat. Usually you lose to them too. You're 2-5 and five in your last seven against Michigan State. But that is your rival. Michigan State fans expect that you might beat them. Ohio State fans do not respect you or your program. They know that they are going to beat your ass when push comes to shove and they've got to play. Now, maybe Urban Meyer is going to retire. Or maybe you gave him the fountain of youth with that ass kicking that he put on you. Michigan ain't close to being a contending team. I think it's actually more likely in the wake of that game that Jim Harbaugh runs away from the Big Ten than it is that Urban Meyer does. Maybe both of them will leave. My theory that I gave you a while back was that Urban Meyer was going to take a year off and then take over the USC job. Go back and listen to the tape on this. Poor USC fans. They're sticking with Clay Helton for another year. My prediction, if you go back and listen on this show, was that Urban Meyer pattern is that he leaves, he sits out a year, he miraculously gets healthy, and he takes over a program in a weaker conference. Pac-12 is a joke right now in terms of the overall conference. Tell me it wouldn't follow the pattern perfectly if Urban Meyer, what did he do when he left Florida? Set out a year, goes to Ohio State. What if he left after the end of this year? Now he could do it and feel pretty good about himself given the fact that I think Ohio State will beat Northwestern and win the Big Ten. And he could say, you know what, my health's just not right. I'm going to ride off into the sunset now. Or maybe... Frankly, maybe this beatdown of Michigan will have re-energized Urban Meyer. I think that's how big this game was. I think this was a major pivot point in the Michigan-Ohio State battle for supremacy in the Big Ten. Even though I think Penn State's actually got a better program right now than Michigan. And I know Michigan beat Penn State pretty soundly. It's the only good win Michigan's got this year. But I think if I had to bet right now, on who's going to be more successful over the next five years, James Franklin or Jim Harbaugh, I go James Franklin. And frankly, if I had to bet the program that I think is going to be the most successful over the next five years, I feel better about what James Franklin's going to do because I don't think he's going to stroke out on the sideline like Urban Meyer sometimes appears like he's going to do because I don't think that he's going to show up and get waxed like that in the biggest game of his season like we just saw Michigan happen against Ohio State. I like James Franklin as the best bet in the Big Ten right now over the next five years. Don't feel good about the long-term health or security of Urban Meyer at Ohio State. And frankly, I just don't feel good that good about the program that Jim Harbaugh has built. I think they are still miles and miles away from being elite national championship caliber team. I think that's what you learned watching them get decimated, destroyed, embarrassed, frankly, against Ohio State. All right, there are six teams right now alive for the college football playoff. I'm going to walk you through what each of them needs to do in order to advance to the college football playoff. 
First team, number one overall on my list of the outkick top ten is Alabama. Here's what Alabama needs to do. They're in the playoff. Nothing. They are in no matter what happens against Georgia unless, unless, and this is the one caveat, and I hate to say it, but if you saw what happened to UCF, if you saw what happened to the Washington Redskins, unless Tua gets injured and is out for the season against Georgia, Alabama is in the playoff no matter what happens against uh, against Georgia. All right, now hey, knock the music down back in the background. That's 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 too much noise. I got this is this is too serious. Knock the music down. I don't want the music in the background. The college football playoff picture is complicated. If I got that music going in the back of my head, I can't escape it. I got to break down this picture. All right, Alabama right now. Alabama has got, when the new poll comes out, the the new rankings, I believe they will have four wins because I think Missouri is going to come into the top 25. Missouri is a top 25 team. I think Missouri's top 15 team. But Missouri is going to come into the top 25. Alabama then will have four wins over the top 25. That's more than anybody else in college football. So if you are out there, you're like, Alabama ain't played nobody. That's the favorite thing that stupid college football fans want to say. Alabama not only has played more top 25 teams than any other playoff contender, they have won every game by 22 or more points. That's a level of dominance we have never seen before in college football history. Modern history, anyway. Alabama is the unquestioned best team in college football. And you're going to tell me that if they lost to Georgia, who is my number four team, and I'll run through Georgia here in a minute, in a close game in Atlanta, that suddenly... They're not going to be one of the four best teams in college football, even though Vegas would tell you that they are a double-digit favorite over virtually everyone. By the way, they're nearly a two-touchdown favorite over Georgia. I don't think Georgia's going to win, but if Alabama were to lose, and we know that Nick Saban only loses close games, Nick Saban has not lost an SEC game by more than seven points since 2009. That's a real stat. The last team, I believe this is correct, to beat Alabama by double digits in the SEC in the regular season was South Carolina. Steven Garcia was the quarterback. I believe I'm correct on that. Somebody can look that up in the in the radio studio there. Urban Meyer gets his ass kicked, you know, gives up 55 to Iowa, 49 to Purdue, 51 to Maryland. That's just in the last six road games for Ohio State. Urban Meyer gets blown out every now and then. Nick Saban, when he loses, it's always by like the absolute slimmest margins. Clemson throws a touchdown pass with one second left. You got the kick six. You got Auburn pulling away late. Pretty incredible level of dominance. So Alabama's in the playoff. Anybody who argues otherwise with you is an idiot. Only way Alabama doesn't make the playoff is if Tua gets injured. Now, that could happen. It'd have to be a serious injury, like what we saw happen to UCF's quarterback, like what we saw happen to Alex Smith and the Redskins. It would have to be a McKenzie uh, Milton style, utterly awful beatdown that's just awful, not just an injury, but a truly awful one. In 2010, not 2009, Alabama lost 35-21. to 21. It's the last time Nick Saban lost an SEC game by more than a touchdown. 
That's a crazy stat. So the odds of Georgia beating Alabama are low. The odds of Georgia beating Alabama by a substantial margin are virtually zero unless you think Alabama is going to take the worst beating they've taken in conference in eight years. Now, we'll be a Georgia-predominant crowd. I might even be betting on Georgia. But Alabama is in regardless of what happens in that game. In the two spot, Clemson. Now, I do think Clemson has to beat Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh 7-5. and five. Clemson is a 24-point favorite over Pittsburgh in the ACC title game. I think if we get the win there, Clemson does. They're in solidly. I think you can even make an argument, by the way, that even if Alabama lost to Georgia – they would still deserve to be the overall number one seed in the college football playoff. I, I would still vote them number one. If Alabama lost like 24-21 to 21 to Georgia, I would still vote Alabama as the best team in college football because Clemson doesn't really have very many good wins. The only two top 25 wins that Clemson is going to have this year, they beat A&M by two and they beat Syracuse by a couple of points as well. Not saying Clemson's not a good team. Just saying the ACC's really bad. Did you see what Kentucky did to Louisville? Utter beatdown. Did you see what Florida did to Florida State? Beatdown. You see what Georgia did to Georgia Tech? Beatdown. And by the way, South Carolina went on the road and scored 35 on Clemson. Clemson's pretty good. I don't think they're anywhere near Alabama level elite. I would still keep Alabama number one, even if they lost to Georgia. That's how good Alabama has been compared to everybody else. More top 25 wins, Alabama does. More dominance. We've never seen a team win every regular season game by 22 or more ever in history. I went back and looked, not 2001 Miami, not 2003 USC, 2004, 2005 USC. They weren't as good. And not even 95 Nebraska, the Tommy Frazier team that was so good. None of them beat down everyone else like Alabama. So Alabama's my one, and they're going to stay my one, frankly, no matter what happens in the SEC title game. I think they're going to win by double digits because they've won every game by double digits. But even if they lost a close game to Georgia, it wouldn't change my mind. Number two spot, I've got Clemson. Number three, I think Notre Dame's in. I think there are only two teams that are already in the college football playoff Alabama and Notre Dame. The only small possibility I can see for Notre Dame is there are only 13 committee members. And what if four or five committee members decided, you know what, we don't think it's fair that Notre Dame gets to avoid playing a conference title game. So if Ohio State wins and if Oklahoma wins, we're going to take all the major conference champs and kick Notre Dame to the curb. I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's a very small percentage chance. I think 12-0 Notre Dame is in no matter what. But that's the only scintilla of possibility, as minuscule as it may be, for what could happen to keep Notre Dame out of the playoff. So I've got Notre Dame at my number three. In my fourth spot right now, I've got Georgia. Now, if Georgia beats Alabama, then both Alabama and Georgia are going to be in the college football playoff. And that would mean you're in trouble if you're Oklahoma or you're Ohio State. Doesn't matter what happens. If Georgia loses to Alabama, as I expect to happen, then Georgia will fall out of the race. You're fortunate that Georgia had to go on the road against LSU because if Georgia had gotten an easier draw against the SEC West, if they'd gotten to play Arkansas, God forbid, if they'd gotten to play even A&M, even Mississippi State, even Ole Miss, any other team maybe other than Alabama, 
I think Georgia would be 12-0 and right now, and Georgia would be in the playoff, and Alabama would be in the playoff, and it wouldn't matter. So I've got Georgia at my four spot, and then this is important. In my five spot, I've got Oklahoma. I think, how do you get to Oklahoma in your five spot over Ohio State? Some would ask. It's turned into the big debate already. I think you have to look at the totality of the resume. Right now, Oklahoma has, in my opinion, a better collection of wins and a much better loss than Ohio State does. Ultimately, it's going to come down to the loss because Oklahoma lost by three to Texas, who is a top 15 caliber team, and Oklahoma gets the opportunity to effectively erase that loss by beating Texas on Saturday. If Oklahoma beats Texas, they will be 12-1, and and they will have erased the one bad blemish on their schedule. Ohio State lost by 29 to a 6-6 six and six Purdue team. I can't put Ohio State above Oklahoma based on that fact alone. I've got Ohio State at the sixth spot. I think if you want Ohio State to advance to the playoff, you are hamstrung by the fact that they're playing Northwestern not a very good team, let's be honest. If you beat Northwestern, they fall to 8-5. and five. Oklahoma is already above you, and they have got a more difficult and more significant win still out there on the horizon. If you are an Ohio State fan, the only way the Buckeyes make the college football playoff is if Alabama beats Ohio State. Sorry, Alabama beats Georgia. Clemson beats Pittsburgh, which we would expect to happen. We already know Notre Dame is in by and large, then you would need Oklahoma to lose to Texas and you would need to beat Northwestern. Those are the only six teams that are alive right now for the college football playoff. I will answer all of your questions. I believe I have a magic ball. I believe I have got a window into the college football playoff committee. Soul, I can tell you exactly what they want to do. Everybody loves hypotheticals. You can jump in. You can hit me with whatever questions you have about the college football playoff picture or any of the games we saw over the weekend, NFL or college. Here is that phone number, 877-996-6369. My guy Dub will field your calls. 877-996-6369. We will dive back in. That is the college football playoff picture. And I'm here to tell you, one of the most important things we do for our health is brush our teeth. Yet most of us, we don't do it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, even enjoyable. They have sensitive sonic vibrations. That sounds incredible. Gentle enough on your sensitive gums. Because a lot of people brush too hard and some electric toothbrushes, they're too abrasive. They have also a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping guide a full and even clean. And they guarantee you that you're going to get an adequate brushing time because most of us don't brush our teeth for long enough. That's why Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association and has thousands of verifiable five-star reviews. And this is why I love Quip. They keep my teeth clean. I don't have cavities. I haven't had cavities in a long time. Part of the reason? Quip. They're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. And right now, it's just 25 bucks. If you go to getquip.com, that's G-E-T- 
quip.com slash Clay. That's my name. I'm the host of this show, Clay Travis, C-L-A-Y. Right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at GetQuip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P slash Clay. Go today. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. This is a confidence show, particularly when we're rolling along on a Monday reacting to college football and the NFL. bunch of calls from you guys. Uh, I'll take some of those calls, uh, then I'll get an update here from uh, Eddie Garcia. But first, your calls. Uh, Chris in Charleston, South Carolina, what you got for me? Hey, yeah, I was wondering if uh, Alabama and Clemson both win and Oklahoma and Ohio State lose, does UCF have a chance to jump in there even with their quarterback injury now? Yeah, I uh, appreciate the call. I, th- that's one of the complicated – there are a couple of complicated hypotheticals out there. So, uh, I, given how big of a of a favorite they are, I, I think it's fair to say that Clemson losing to uh, to Pittsburgh would be a tremendous upset, right? I also have already told you that I think Alabama is in regardless. So, if Alabama wins and knocks Georgia out of the playoff contention and Clemson wins and Notre Dame, we assume, is already in, so that's three – and then Oklahoma, then Oklahoma lost to Texas, and then we had uh, Northwestern beat Ohio State. Who would then be the fourth team in the college football playoff? There's not an easy answer. I think if Mackenzie Milton had not gotten hurt, that maybe you'd be able to argue that Mackenzie Milton and uh, UCF would be able to slide up, maybe. I still don't think they would. I think with the injury, there's almost a 0% chance of that happening now. Uh, I think ridiculously, I think Georgia would end up in the college football playoff. I don't know how many of you watched the end of that Texas A&M-LSU game that went seven overtimes, 74-72. The real impact of that game in the event that Ohio State lost to Northwestern and Oklahoma lost to Texas would be that it would knock LSU out of the college football playoff. Because if LSU had won that game, and I thought they won it, I tweeted that they won it, I didn't see that... Uh, that Mon's uh, leg was down, that his knee was down before he threw that interception. That was a crazy, crazy ending. Coach Ed Ogeron got dunked by the Gatorade bath. If you weren't watching that, maybe the most crazy college football game I've ever seen. But I think that Georgia would get in the playoff because I think they would then, I mean, who would you have out there who would have a better resume than 11-2 and Georgia at that point? You'd have to go to a two-loss team I don't think two-loss Ohio State has a better resume than 11-2 Georgia. I don't think that two-loss Oklahoma would have a better resume than 11-2 Georgia. Neither one of those teams would have won a championship. You're going to get a three-loss Pac-12 champ. I don't think certainly Michigan sitting at 10-2 would have a better resume than Georgia. I think Georgia would get in. I think, again, the hypothetical that uh, that we just got in Charleston, Chris in Charleston, is I think it would be uh, Georgia that would get in. Dub is saying, wouldn't it be Texas after beating OU? I don't think so because Texas has got three losses. And they'd be 10-3. and three. I think Georgia would be the team that would get in. I mean, Texas, 
I, I, I don't think they would get in. Maybe you could make that argument. And certainly the television ratings would like that. They'd like to get Texas in, but I think it would be I think it would be Georgia. Do you think at eleven and two Georgia, they would have lost to LSU on the road and they would have lost to Alabama? Texas three losses, I, I don't think they'd get in. We never had a two loss team, I don't believe, make the college football playoff. The jump to three loss team is I think too substantial. Now I think Oklahoma and uh Ohio State are both going to win, but that's kind of that. That's that breakdown. Uh, what about uh, Gary in Pennsylvania? What you got for me, Gary? Thanks for taking my call, diehard Buckeye fan, and I totally agree with your breakdown uh, on the college football playoff. Although, this is what I'd like to ask you, and also it's kind of a statement. I do believe that they should have uh, – said to Notre Dame, if you are really going to be considered in the top four, you're going to play UCF as your conference to see who gets in. Uh, that's that's just a kind of a question. Let's say you, sir. Thanks. Yeah, I, I do think it's a little bit unfair that Notre Dame is getting basically to go sit and kick their feet up and wait to see who they're going to get to play against, and you know they don't have a conference championship game. And you could say, well, Alabama got into the college football playoff last year, and they went 11-1. and By the way, let me clean one thing up. Alabama lost last year by 12 to Auburn in the Iron Bowl. So they've lost two games by double digits uh, over the past eight years in the SEC. They lost uh, all the way back in uh, – they lost by two touchdowns by 14. So i got to change my stat to two touchdowns or more to uh, Steven Garcia back in the day. And then they lost 26-14, to 14, I think, last year in the, uh, in the Iron Bowl to Auburn. It was the only game Auburn, that Alabama lost last year. And I think that the difference is the expectation is you're going to play in a conference title game but for kind of a crazy quirk of the schedule circumstance. And so that's why I think there's a little bit of difference with Notre Dame. I think what would be great, and look, I'm always in favor of more college football. I think what would be great if we have what I think is likely to end up happening, which is Alabama beats Georgia, Clemson beats Pittsburgh, Notre Dame is already in, I think that Oklahoma is going to beat Texas, and I think that Ohio State's going to beat Northwestern, and the decision's going to come down to Ohio State against Oklahoma. By the way, Vegas odds maker makes Oklahoma a one point favorite over Ohio State. I think that would be a lot of fun to watch that game. Why don't we have a play in game? If we were going to create a brand new game, put it on pay per view, tell me that game wouldn't produce a massive audience if we knew that Oklahoma and Ohio State, given how good the past couple of games those teams played, remember Baker Mayfield planting the flag, if we played a neutral site game somewhere between Oklahoma and Ohio State, tell me that wouldn't be an insanely successful television event and the winner got to go to the college football playoff as the four seed. That would be by far, I think, the most fair situation we could possibly have. Uh, what you got for me, Robert, in New York? Yeah, so I'm a diehard Notre fan, and I just want to ask a question. And like you said, we get to sit back and kick our – I was wondering if everything played out, all the teams went out, 
and the top four stays the way it is. How do you think we match up against Clemson? And if we were to beat Clemson, what do you think the opening line spread would be uh, if we played the final game against Alabama? Yeah, Notre Dame fan there. He was breaking up a little bit per Robert in New York. And by the way, the phone number 877-996-6369. Right now, the way it would break down is, uh, I think, if, if everything went according to the way that I'm anticipating it right now, it would be Alabama against Oklahoma, and it would be uh, Clemson against Notre Dame. I don't, it's, it's an excellent question. So I think that Alabama, let me do Alabama-Oklahoma first. I think Alabama-Oklahoma, Oklahoma has no hope of stopping Tua Tagovailoa, right? I think he would throw for 400 yards. I think Alabama would score 70 points if they needed to. And I think Oklahoma would be capable in a, in a shootout like that of scoring 35 or 40 against Alabama. But I think Alabama would get a lot of stops against Oklahoma and ultimately Alabama would win by two or three touchdowns pretty easily so that's what I think would happen in the Oklahoma game I think Alabama is the much better team than everybody else I'm a little bit so first of all I don't think Notre Dame is going to get dominated like they did the last time they got into one of these big signature games against Alabama by anybody other than Alabama I think Alabama has a chance to wipe out everybody in the college football playoff by a substantial margin. But I think Notre Dame could be competitive against Clemson primarily for this reason. We really haven't seen Clemson play a lot of high-level competition. I don't. I, I think the ACC is really bad this year. And the three examples that I will give you just on what we saw last weekend. Did you see what happened in the rivalry week games between the SEC and the ACC? It didn't get a lot of attention because none of these games were really kind of like high-level games it wasn't a lot of people sitting around saying man I'm really excited to watch Georgia play Georgia Tech I'm really excited to watch Kentucky play Louisville I'm really excited to watch Florida play Florida State Florida went on the road and won 41 to 14 against Florida State means that Willie Taggart is not going to a bowl game at FSU I believe that's the first time since 1981 that we have not had a bowl game for Florida State. And by the way, somebody wrote something racist about Willie Taggart. So stupid. Like, I, I, I see like it's a headline some places. Like, look, you can dislike somebody for a variety of reasons. There are plenty of reasons that you can think Willie Taggart did a bad job as a coach this year. His race really has nothing to do with it, right? I mean, I just, it's so lazy. Like, there are all sorts of reasons why you can hate a coach in terms of his performance for what he's done for your program. Basing it on anything other than the coach stinks is to me just trying way too hard, right? Period. Uh, so that's all I'm going to say about that. Georgia destroys Georgia Tech. Not even remotely close. 45-7, to Georgia Tech gets a couple of scores late. Georgia Tech got wiped out. And Kentucky hung 56 on Louisville and beat them 56-10. to 10. Those are SEC against ACC games. And then South Carolina went on the road against Clemson and scored 35 points against them. So I'm not 100% sold on Clemson as much as some others might be. Uh, that's kind of my personal read on that game in general. I just don't know that I really buy into it, right? I don't know that I buy into Clemson 
being head and shoulders above uh, Notre Dame. So I think that would be a competitive game. I really do. I think Ian Book makes it a difference maker. Uh, and so I think that Notre Dame – I look, do I think Notre Dame would be the underdog? Yeah, probably by six and a half, seven points. But I think that can be a very competitive game. I think Alabama otherwise substantially better. All right, uh, 877-996-6369. Uh, I'm going to take a couple of your calls here momentarily. But first, let me get Eddie Garcia and find out what's shaking in the world of sports. Well, Claire, this report is brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Checking Sunday's action in the NFL Sunday night. The Vikings beat the Packers 24-17. Minnesota now 6-4 on the year. Kirk Cousins, 342 yards passing and three touchdowns. Green Bay drops to 4-6-1 with a loss. They're 0-6 on the road now this season. Late action, Broncos beat the Steelers 24-17, snapping Pittsburgh's six-game winning streak. Chargers beat the Cardinals 45-10. L.A. quarterback Phillip Rivers completed his first 25 passes in the game, finished 28-29 of 29 passing, three touchdowns. Chargers are 8-3 on the year. Colts get a last-second field goal to beat the Dolphins 27-24. Early action, Browns snap a 25-game road losing streak, beating the Bengals in Cincinnati 35-20. Baker Mayfield, four touchdown passes for Cleveland. Seahawks on a late field goal beat the Panthers on the road 30-27. Eagles on a late field goal edge the Giants 25-22 Patriots improved to 8-3 with a 27-13 win over the Jets Ravens down the Raiders 34-17 Lamar Jackson now 2-0 as a starter at quarterback for Baltimore Bills beat the Jaguars 24-21 Jacksonville drops 7 in a row and the Buccaneers beat the 49ers 27-9 the NHL season continues tonight with the Toronto Maple Leafs hosting the Boston Bruins at 7pm Eastern it's our Discover Card key matchup speaking of matchups become a new card member and Discover Card will match all the cash back you've earned dollar for dollar at the end of your first year learn more at discover.com slash match limitations apply back to clay travis and the geico outkick the coverage studios live here in the geico outkick studios where it's easy to save 15 percent or more on car insurance with geico go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO the only hard part figuring out which way is easier let me go to who's up next dub who should i go to next we got charlie and dayton charlie and dayton what you got for me Clay, I love where your head's at with Oklahoma, Ohio State, pay-per-view, played in Bristol, Tennessee, Bristol Motor Speedway, and also uh, Notre Dame. I don't know why everybody's so upset that they don't play a championship game. I mean, NBC abuses them and makes them play all across America, so they should get a little credit for that. Thanks. Yeah, it is true. Look, I mean, uh, Notre Dame went to New York City, and then they flew all the way across the country, and they played in L.A. They played against Syracuse, and they played in uh, in L.A. back-to-back weeks. It's a pretty tough schedule, um, and uh, and and they have you know basically played all over the place. They played Navy in a neutral site game. Um, I'll come back. We got a bunch of you got lined up. Eight seven seven nine nine six six three six nine. Kentucky, Texas, and Arkansas. Right off the top, you'll be our next three up. Then I'll roll in with the rest of the calls. Then at the top of hour three, we'll dive back into the NFL playoff picture and everything else associated with that. We're breaking down college football. We'll also talk with my guy Alex Marvez in segment two of uh, hour three. My name is Clay Travis. This is Outkick the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Up next, more of your reactions to the weekend in the college football playoff picture. This is Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. A message from Welch's Grape Juice. There are over 400 crushed, decimated, and pulverized grapes crammed into each bottle of Welch's Grape Juice. 
which pretty much leaves no room for anything else and no added sugars, no added flavors, and definitely no mercy. The world's toughest antioxidants, Welch's, tough as grapes. Let me go ahead and get some of your calls in. 877-996-6369. We'll be joined by Alex Marvez in hour three. We'll also reset everything in the college football and NFL picture from what we saw over the long holiday weekend uh, through Thanksgiving. Kale in Kentucky. What's up, man? Uh, yeah, just kind of curious as to what your take would be on um, with the human aspect of picking these teams. If everything shakes out to where you have Oklahoma and Ohio State being picked, all the off all the off field crap that happened, Homer Simpson with the megaphone, all that stuff, does that leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth and potentially, you know, regardless of margin of wins in these championship games, keep them out of the playoffs? I think if Oklahoma beats Texas and Ohio State beats Northwestern, there is no way that Ohio State gets in above Oklahoma. I I don't see it possible because I don't understand how you could look at those two resumes at that point in time. Barring, let me say this, I hate that I have to say it, but after the McKenzie Milton injury, after the Alex Smith injury, if something happened to one of the starting quarterbacks, right, even if they won, and I said this about Tua, Even if Alabama lost to Georgia, I think Alabama's in, unless Tua got injured and was not going to be able to play in the college football playoff because I think that changes everything. If something happened to Kyler Murray for Oklahoma, I don't think there's any way you could put in Oklahoma over Ohio State. If something happened to Dwayne Haskins, I think the same thing would have to be said about Ohio State. Like The quarterback position has become so paramount in college football as well given these offensive systems, that if you don't have your starting quarterback, there's a precipitous drop-off. The difference between Kyler Murray and Tua and Dwayne Haskins and all of their backups is night and day. Even at Notre Dame, the difference between Ian Book and Brandon Wimbush is massive, right? I think the difference between Justin Fields, who's the backup right now, and Jake Fromm at Georgia, also massive. So much like in the NFL, I think these offenses have become so geared towards the starting quarterbacks that if you lost a starting quarterback, that's why I say, I hate to say it, I think if UCF still had McKenzie Milton, they would be potentially in the mix in the event that both Ohio State and Oklahoma lost. Now, I don't think there's any way you can put them in there. Jim in Texas. What's up, Jim? Enjoy the show. Hey, uh, the, only, the only thing I think you got to think of the the conferences. The Big Twelve they play zero defense outside of Texas and Iowa State, and the Big Ten I can't figure it out because the speed difference on the lines between Michigan and and Ohio State it was unbelievable. And I just think if if Texas goes ahead and beats uh, beats Oklahoma, which I think is going to happen, Ohio State wins and they win big. You either got to take Ohio State or you really got to take UCF because they haven't lost. And these other teams have lost two games. That's all yeah. I'm thinking. Thanks. I don't think UCF is in the running at all. I think if Oklahoma if Oklahoma loses and Ohio State loses, I think it would be Georgia, even if Georgia loses to Alabama. That's who I think would be the – I think Georgia would have the best resume of any two-loss team. Unfortunate for LSU that they lost that 74-72 game or LSU would have the best resume of any two-loss team. Because LSU could be like, hey, we lost on the road against Florida. We lost on the we lost to Bama. But we beat Georgia by a sound margin. I think that would have put LSU in as the two-loss team. Now, I don't think it's going to matter because I don't think Ohio State's going to lose to Northwestern and I don't think Oklahoma's going to lose to Texas. 
I think both those teams will win. And maybe it'll sort itself out, right? If one of those two teams loses, then it's easy. We know exactly who gets in. Uh, Vincent in Arkansas. What's up, Vincent? Hey, Clay. Uh, you kind of <clears throat> answered the question. I had a question about what you think about, I mean, if Alabama, some kind of way they lose to Georgia, I mean, how, how could they keep them out the playoffs when you're saying they're the most dominant team so far through 12 games and, and they lose one uh, one game to Georgia, I mean, I, I don't see how you can keep them out of the playoff. I'm not just saying that because I'm a Bama fan. but And another thing, you I think me and you are the only one in America that sees it. I'm not that impressed with Clemson. I mean, yeah. you're right. They haven't – I mean, their best win was on the road against Texas A&M with the game that Texas A&M should have won, you know, and – and they try to say Boston College, the game they won at Boston College was a present win. Look at Boston College. What is, I mean, what is they, you know? So that's, that's what I had to say. Yeah, I, look, I mean, I, thanks for the call. I, you and I are in agreement there, Vincent. I mean, I think Bama's in. I think there are two teams that are in the college football playoff should be 100%. Alabama and Notre Dame. I don't think it matters what happens in the Alabama game against Georgia as long as two is not hurt. Two is hurt, everything changes. In the same way that I would adjust Central Florida, UCF, I can't let UCF in with Mackenzie Milton hurt because I just don't know what that team has. I also similarly can't do that for Alabama. Now, if Alabama's 13-0 and Tua gets hurt and you're not sure whether or not he's going to play, yeah, they're still in. Only way I can see Alabama getting knocked out of the playoff is if Tua had a devastating leg injury, something like we saw happen to Mackenzie Milton or something that we saw happen to Alex Smith. And I hate to say it, but that's the only possibility. I'm just trying to give you all the possibilities. As is the four teams that are in the playoff, I believe Alabama's the one, your two C to be Clemson, your three C to be Notre Dame, and then your four would be Oklahoma, assuming they beat Texas, uh, even if Ohio State beats Northwestern, or if Oklahoma loses and Ohio State beats Northwestern, then they're in. That's your four. If both those teams lose, Oklahoma State and uh, sorry, Oklahoma loses and Ohio State loses, then I think Georgia would be in. Dub made the argument, shot me a line. What about Texas at ten and three? I just don't think ten and three Texas would get it done. Certainly, that's a debate we could have this week uh, at some point. It's a discussion worth having. When we return, we'll break down all the NFL and the college football weekend that was over Thanksgiving. Thanks for hanging out with us. My name is Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. And we're brought to you by Discover Card. We treat you like you treat you. And right now, boy, as we come down the stretch in the NFL, we've got a game tonight that is pretty significant in the playoff race, in theory. And it's been an interesting line move. The Tennessee Titans going on the road against the Houston Texans. The line has dropped from around seven to three and a half as Marcus Mariota's health has firmed up. Maybe there's some more news out there that we don't know about yet. Uh, But that is the final game of week 11 in the NFL. But I thought as we start off hour three, we'll be joined by Alex Marvez here shortly to break down all of the NFL picture and everything that we learned. Encourage you to go download the podcast. Uh, We are continuing to roll in that arena. Uh, The uh, Patriots have taken control. Uh, Stop me if you've heard this before. The AFC East effectively decided 
the Miami Dolphins lost against uh, the uh, Indianapolis Colts. And as a result, the Patriots sitting at 8-3, and three, they have complete control over that division. And the question is, as you walked, wa- work your way down the stretch, Vikings going on the road against the Patriots. Vikings obviously got a big win to basically end the playoff chances of Aaron Rodgers and maybe to end the Mike McCarthy era in, uh, in uh, Green Bay. Uh, the Patriots uh, then uh, go on the road against the Dolphins. We know they've had trouble in South Florida, but in terms of competing in the division, not likely. And then I think the game that's likely to decide one of the two buys in the AFC, the Patriots going on the road against the Steelers. Steelers got a tough uh, performance against the uh, against the Broncos. That's two straight weeks, really, that the Steelers have gone on the road and not looked very good. I know they stole the game away against the Jags, but the Steelers have not looked very good the past couple of weeks. So anyway, the AFC East effectively controlled by the New England Patriots. The AFC North, we'll see what happens with this Lamar Jackson experiment. The Ravens have won two in a row. They're sitting at four and uh, six and five. Now, a little bit of a concern. They've already played six home games. So now the Ravens are going to have to go on the road a decent amount in the final five weeks of the season. They have three road games. That's a little bit of a concern if you think that they're going to contend in that division. Uh, again, the Steelers sitting at 7-3-1, and one, a game and a half up on the, uh, the Baltimore Ravens. In the AFC South, I just kind of hit it. By the way, the Cincinnati Bengals completely given away everything. I think they're the worst team now in the AFC North. And the Browns. How good has Baker Mayfield been the past two weeks and everything about that Hugh Jackson defeat that he took? You leave your team in the middle of the season, get fired, and then go become an offensive consultant for the Bengals? I think that's a disgusting move by Hugh Jackson. I think it's an indefensible move. Marvin Lewis seems to be unfireable, but man... It seems to me clear that the Cleveland Browns were out to get Hugh Jackson and felt like he had treated them wrong by going and now working against them in the same season. I agree with him. I understand why Baker Mayfield didn't want to give uh, Hugh Jackson a hug after the after the game and uh, and why so many of the Cincinnati Bengals uh, players got exposed by the Browns. I think it's because everybody out there was like, you know what, I can't respect this guy quitting on us, getting fired in the middle of the season, and then going to work and coach against us. Uh, That's just a different level. And how about Hugh Jackson? You can't win with the Browns, and then you get fired, and the Browns come on the road and beat your new team. No idea how he keeps the job. No idea how he gets another head coaching job. That was a disaster. I don't understand what's going on with Marvin Lewis, why he still has a job. The Bengals look finished. Andy Dalton taken off the field with the injury. Uh, I, they got the Broncos and the Bengals playing in, frankly, a game that is, uh, that's an elimination game for the AFC wildcard race to the extent that either team is still in that race. And uh, I, I think the Bengals are effectively done, even though the schedule is not necessarily that brutal over uh, the next four weeks. You get to play the Raiders. You get to play the Browns again. But I think they're done. The Bengals are officially done. Uh, In the AFC South, I just mentioned it, Monday Night Football, Texans won seven games in a row. They're hosting the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Titans need to get a win if that is going to be a competitive division because if you let the Texans get to 8-3, and that becomes a real challenge. On the flip side, the Titans win – 
then you basically got a three-way race down the stretch between the Texans, the Colts, and the Titans. In uh, in the AFC West, and by the way, the Jags have fallen apart. I think in the offseason, Tom Coughlin, Leonard Fournette getting into a fight, like an actual fist fight. He's your best offensive player. Blake Bortles still can't throw the ball in the ocean. I mean, it is an ugly performance from the Jags who have fallen to 3-8 and eight and lost seven straight games. The wheels have come off that franchise. I don't know what's going to happen but I know that it's going to be an ugly conclusion for them. And uh, I, I don't know what the resolution is going to be, but I would expect for major changes to be made there. And the AFC West, we're turning into a pretty interesting race. Uh, the Chiefs obviously sitting at 9-2. and two, Seems like forever ago uh, they played that, uh, that epic game against uh, the LA Rams. And we're sitting with the, uh, the Chargers now. At uh, at eight and three, Chargers get an easy win. Philip Rivers basically unstoppable. Twenty five straight completions. That could end up being an actual race in that division. And the Broncos still somewhat alive. The Raiders chasing the number one overall draft pick. In the NFC, seems like this game was played a long time ago too. The uh, Dallas Cowboys given up for dead after they lost Monday night to the Tennessee Titans now sitting at six and five have the tie break over the Washington Redskins in that division the Eagles got the win came back from a 19 to 3 deficit they're still kind of kicking around in that playoff race as well we'll see what happens the Giants the only team that's effectively been eliminated I guess Odell Beckham Jr. not correct that they were going to go out and win every game for the rest of the way uh the Bears got the win they're now eight and three again that game was played on Thanksgiving and it seems like forever ago now the early game they eliminated effectively the Lions last night the Vikings get the win over Aaron Rodgers and the Packers feels to me like Mike McCarthy's tenure with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers may officially be over the Green Bay Packers not officially dead but they got a win out they got to win five straight and even then they would only be at nine six and one would that be good enough to make the playoffs? Probably not, but I don't feel like the Packers are going to win five games in a row anyway. They're now 0-6 on the road. There's nothing that has suggested to me that they can go on the road and, for instance, win in Chicago. NFC South, the Saints, best team in the NFL, in my opinion, sitting at 10-1. and Carolina Panthers have fallen apart, losing three in a row to put themselves into a very precarious position when it comes to the playoffs. Uh, and uh, Atlanta and Tampa Bay, both bad football teams. In the NFC West, we got the Rams, who haven't played in a long time either. They got the bye week. They're sitting at 10-1 and after that epic Monday night football contest. The Seahawks, not officially eliminated from the NFC West race. The Seahawks get a huge win on the road against the Panthers, and neither Arizona nor the 49ers matter at all. Those are both awful football teams. That's where we are right now in uh, the NFL picture. We broke down the college football playoff picture for much of hour two. We're going to be joined by Alex Marvez here shortly, but I want to tell you right now there are only in my mind six teams alive for the college football playoff. In order, those are Alabama, who will be the number one seed when the playoff rankings come out, Clemson, who will be the number two, in the three spot, we're going to have Notre Dame. In the four spot, I believe, will be Georgia. Five will be Oklahoma. Six, I believe, will be Ohio State. Uh, assuming that that is correct, Alabama and Notre Dame, in my opinion, both already in the college football playoff. Alabama, four top 25 wins. Assuming that Missouri is going to slide up into the top 25, which I think they will, 
if that occurs, Alabama would have more top 25 wins than anybody in college football right now who is contending for the playoff. So stop with the they ain't played anybody argument. That's a stupid argument. If you are making it, then you are effectively saying nobody has played anybody. Uh, Alabama also has won every game by 22 or more points so far this season which is unheard of, a level of dominance we have never seen before in college football. So long as Tua is not severely injured, no matter what happens in the SEC title game, I believe Alabama will be in. If Georgia were to pull off the upset over Alabama, I believe that Georgia would be in the college football playoff as well. Clearly Clemson, 24-point favorite over Pittsburgh. Expect for Clemson to win the ACC in advance at 13-0. Notre Dame sitting at 12-0. and 0. They should be in good shape to advance as well. All of those teams, when, uh, when you break it down, are in great shape. I believe if Oklahoma beats Texas, and right now they're around a seven-point favorite, that would vanquish their one loss. That would put Oklahoma into the college football playoff. I think that if Ohio State beats Northwestern, the only way Ohio State would get into the playoff is if Oklahoma loses to Texas. That is the college football playoff picture. What if both Oklahoma and uh, Ohio State lose? Then I think even if Georgia lost, they would be in the college football playoff. I think that two lost Georgia would have the best resume of all of those available teams. That is the college football playoff picture. That is the NFL playoff picture and more as we move through the 11th week of the NFL season. Only one game left. Uh, Marcus Mariota, Tennessee Titans going on the road to take on the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson. That is your Monday night football game. We will be breaking that down in a substantial degree or to a substantial degree tomorrow morning and we'll effectively have the NFL done. We'll do top five, bottom five. We'll talk with Charles Davis, Mark Schlereth, and Petros Papadakis. But up next, we're going to talk with Alex Marvez. He's our NFL expert. He joins us every single Monday in Hour 3. He will be up next with us. That's Alex Marvez. Go follow him on Twitter at Alex Marvez. In the meantime, you should send the holiday gift that families across America have loved for over 100 years Omaha Steaks. Right now, Omaha Steaks giving an amazing limited time offer to my listeners. When you go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code Travis, that's my name, T R A V I S, into the search bar, you get 74% off Omaha Steaks family gift package. Originally $195, now only $49.99. Order now and you'll get four hand-cut, aged-to-tenderness top sirloin steaks, two savory premium pork chops, making people hungry out there, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasa sausages, all beef meatballs, four perfectly brown potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, and you get four more burgers for free. That's Omaha Steaks, a fifth-generation family-owned company, 100 years of experience. Get this limited-time package for only $49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com. Type Travis in the search bar and add the family gift package to your cart. That's Travis in the search bar at omahasteaks.com. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. omahasteaks.com. Type Travis in the search bar to send the Omaha Steaks family gift package today. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want 
so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Always a confident show. We're joined by Alex Marvez. But first, Eddie Garcia, give me an update. What we got, my man? Well, let us start by telling you that this update is brought to you by TrueCar. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from TrueCar. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. In the NFL, Sunday Night Football saw the Vikings beat the Packers 24-17. Minnesota's now 6-4-1 on the year. Kirk Cousins led him with three touchdown passes. Green Bay drops to 4-6-1 and now 0-6 on the road this season. In late action, Broncos beat the Steelers 24-17. Pittsburgh's six-game winning streak is snapped. Chargers beat the Cardinals 45-10. LA's 8-3. They're led by quarterback Phillip Rivers, who completed his first 25 passes of the game. Colts get a late field goal to edge the Dolphins 27-24. Andrew Luck, three Touchdown passes, eighth straight game. He's had three or more TD passes. Early action, Brown snap a 25-game road losing streak, beating the Bengals 35-20. Seahawks get a late field goal to edge the Panthers 30-27. Eagles with a late field goal get by the Giants 25-22. Patriots improved to 8-3 with a 27-3 win over the Jets. Ravens down the Raiders 34-17. It was the Bills beating the Jaguars 24-21. That's seven straight losses now for Jacksonville. And the Buccaneers down the 49ers. 27-9. The NHL season continues tonight with the Toronto Maple Leafs hosting the Boston Bruins at 7 p.m. Eastern. It's our Discover Card key matchup. Speaking of matchups, become a new card member and Discover Card will match all the cash back you've earned dollar for dollar at the end of your first year. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. Now back to Clay Travis and the Geico Outkick the Coverage Studios. We are indeed here at the Geico Outkick Studios, and uh, we appreciate all of you hanging out with us here on the Monday edition of the show as we break down the NFL and college football. Uh, We're coming to you live here where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Uh, We bring in now Alex Marvez, and Alex, it certainly seemed like the Browns wanted to beat Hugh Jackson just badly with the fact that he's flipped teams in the middle of the season. Can you ever remember seeing anything like that? No, I I can't. You know, sometimes you might bring in someone as a consultant, but not someone who gets fired as a head coach who immediately assumes such a major part uh, with another team. And it's funny how it was spun, right? Remember, Hugh Jackson didn't want to leave the Cleveland Browns. At least I don't think he did. Uh, you know, but he was fired. It wasn't like, oh, well, he had it in a choice. I mean, he wanted to keep working, and he wants to remain, you know, a viable member of, of you know, the coaching fraternity in the NFL. He doesn't want to sit out waiting for another job. So, and I think, too, he sees a path potentially to becoming a head coach again with the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that obviously can't get out of its own way. And if there is a change made, I do think that Hugh Jackson would get strong consideration from Mike Brown because at this point, Mike doesn't want outside ideas. He is very comfortable. Are they ever going to fire Marvin no. Lewis? Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, look, it's Mike Brown's decision, and Mike doesn't want change. I mean, that's just how he is as a team owner. He's very good with comfort at this point in his life now that he's in his early 80s, and Marvin does what Mike wants. And it's similar to Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones, except the Cowboys actually have success whereas the Bengals now are having no success. So, yeah, it, it was personal, I think. And, and, you know, look, too, I think people realized, hey, Hugh Jackson was an anchor on the Cleveland Browns. I, I mean, think about how this year might have gone had they actually had Greg Williams as head coach, who's done a good job and his defense has played well. Freddie Kitchens has done a nice job as offensive coordinator. Now, all this being said, let's not forget here, this is a 4-6-1 and one type of team as well, and they've beaten two slumping teams in Atlanta and Cincinnati. But, look, other Browns teams would have lost. This team won. 
and they're fun to watch entering December. So yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that's a real positive for them. And as for the Bengals, you know, the fans all they can do is shrug their shoulders. Clay, look, I know the Bengals really well as an organization. I, that was the first team I ever covered. I follow them really closely, and it's really just all on Mike Brown. If Mike wants something different, wants to make a change, wants to change the culture in his organization, well, he's hiring a different coach and he's listening to different ideas. If he's content with the same old, same old, and cashing those giant checks from the NFL, then you're going to keep seeing what you're seeing. Do you think that uh, that Greg Williams could get a chance to keep this Browns job, or do you think they're going to go outside regardless? My impression initially, from speaking to people who, who know the situation well, is that everyone was going to get cleared out and there'd be a whole new look for the Browns you know, in 2019. Now, if the Browns keep winning and responding the way they are, maybe John Dorsey takes a different look at it. The question is this, you know, do you trust Freddie Kitchens to develop Baker Mayfield into a quarterback? And if it's not him, then who is it? Because really that's what the whole purpose of the next head coach is, right? Making sure that you develop Baker Mayfield into a franchise quarterback. It's what the Chicago Bears did with the hiring of Matt Nagy, Sean McVay, the same thinking you know, with the Los Angeles Rams, is to develop the franchise quarterback. So is Freddie Kitchens that guy? He's not going to be the head coach. Don't get me wrong. He's not there yet. But, you know, is he the type of offensive coordinator you want? Can he and Greg Williams work together? Listen, there's no previous relationship between those guys either. This staff was put together as a hodgepodge type of staff by John Dorsey. And, John, I think, you know, maybe trying to move Hugh a little bit closer to that exit door, hiring a guy like Todd Haley and taking away the play calling from Hugh Jackson. Think about that. You know, Hugh Jackson didn't have the ability to control whether or not he called the plays for the Cleveland Browns. How goofy is that, right, as an organization? So there's still some dysfunction going on in Cleveland, but whoever it is, just got to make sure that everyone is rowing the boat in the right direction. So far, Greg Williams has done a good job with it. And look, if they win out or they, go, they finish with a winning record, I think that his, his candidacy grows. But again, it's all about Baker Mayfield. It's not in 2019 and beyond. It's not about 2018. Last night, uh, the Packers, not officially, officially dead in the playoff race, but they seem awfully close. Does Mike McCarthy keep his job? I don't think so. I I think this is the end of an era. And, you know, I I mean, has has any quarterback looked as unhappy on the field lately as Aaron Rodgers? I mean, really, it's like when when I see those State Farm commercials and how unhappy I am to have to watch that direct this season, it's the same look on his face. You know, every time I see him, he's just, he looks miserable. And, you know, it's, it's starting to seep into his play a little bit. You see Aaron misfiring on some passes that he normally wouldn't misfire. And you see the frustration. He's sinking a wide receiver's one place, and it isn't, or the protection breaking down. And, you know, there's a terrible third down offense as well. They're 24th in the NFL in third down conversions. They've lost eight straight road games dating back to last season. But look, if I'm looking for a silver lining for the Packers, there is a way for them to make the playoffs at 9 6 and 1. They're just giving themselves no margin of error here. They they have the, the tied with the, the uh, uh, sorry Rams for the easiest schedule, strength of schedule over the final five games of the season. Their opponents have a combined winning percentage of 382. So it's got to start next Sunday against a team that's actually even worse than them right now, the Arizona Cardinals. They got to beat Atlanta at home. Go to Chicago. You got to win there in Week 15. Then you're at the Jets, home against Detroit. You run that set, You run that you know gambit. All of a sudden, you're 9-6-1. and one. Maybe Mike McCarthy saves his gig, but right now, not looking good. You know what's so weird, too? The play calling is strange. You got Aaron Rodgers not going on some, in some fourth down situations that you would think, wow, if you have a guy this talented, maybe you want to go for it. You don't want to put too much pressure on a defense last night that had a secondary that was just ravaged by injuries. I mean, it, and the special teams remain just so inconsistent. On a, you know, they're more missed than hit. So, yeah, I mean, all these signs are pointing toward that because, again, the narrative play continues. How come Mike McCarthy hasn't won multiple Super Bowls with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback? And, you know, there's no 
no real answer to that right now. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people to blame on that, but Mike McCarthy's probably going to take the hit on this one. The Jags have lost seven in a row. They got their best player on offense getting in a legitimate fist fight and getting kicked out of the game. Jalen Ramsey talks trash about Josh Allen. Lo and behold, Josh Allen finds a way to get the win. Scrambles, of all things, for a touchdown against them. Rushes for 100 yards. Josh Allen does. What is the takeaway here if you are the Jags? The Bills are what what they are. You know, they're four and seven. They're not very good. They have a better record than the Jags do. This has to be driving Tom Coughlin crazy. What do the Jags do now in the offseason? Well, Jags got to find a quarterback, right? And, and they put this one off. They were really hoping that Blake Bortles could, could be that guy based upon what they saw last year. And I, I can't blame them for thinking that. You know, I mean, they're around the guy every day. You saw some improvement, but all of that fell by the wayside this year. He just, is, he just cannot make game-changing types of plays. I mean, you know, you look at, at the previous week, his longest completion of a wide receiver was 14 yards. I mean, you know, just you, you can't win like this. I mean, they rushed for 226 yards yesterday, even with Leonard Fournette getting ejected in the third quarter, and you're still losing games. They, the Jags offense, they try to take the football out of Blake Bortles' hands. How many teams in the NFL can win like that on a consistent basis when you don't have the type of quarterback that you want? they got to ask themselves if Jalen Ramsey is worth the headaches that he can provide by continuing to open his mouth. You know, he's a great player, but, you know, of course, you know, you see that the Buffalo Bills trolling him as well on their, on their social media account. You know, about Jalen Ramsey talking trash about him. Jaguars didn't even sack, you know, um, Josh Allen yesterday. I think the thing, too, on defense, there's something missing. Maybe it's the slot cornerback spot. I don't know. But there is way too much talent, way too much money being spent on that side of the football to get what you're getting. And, again, on offense, you know, the play calling by Nate Hackett has been pretty poor. But, you know, then again, you think about it, he's just trying to not give the football to Blake Bortles. It's a mess there right now in that regard. But I really think if they can get that game-changing quarterback, it makes a difference. And, Clay, each week that goes by, the Jaguars keep sinking. And, you know, are they going to be – in position with a top three, top four pick to potentially get that guy. Because you look at San Francisco, you look at other teams that are playing poorly, Arizona, they already have their franchise quarterback in tow, so they don't need to be drafting at the position. That plays well for the Jaguars potentially getting their guy in 2019. Lamar Jackson, not as many rushes this week for the Ravens as he had last week, but they got to win. Maybe the Raiders, like you said, are just completely tanking. Uh, what do we make of the Ravens quarterback situation? What's going on with Joe Flacco health situation? What do you hear here? Because the Ravens are sitting at six and five, and maybe they can make a run down the stretch with two straight wins. Yeah, and listen, they're at Atlanta next week, so you figure they're, they're at a very winnable game with the way the Falcons are playing. So if you're at seven and five, and I don't think Joe Flacco is coming back this week, then you got a decision to make it because you know you're at you're at Kansas City, home against Tampa Bay, at the Chargers, home against Cleveland. So you're looking at about a 9-7 and seven type of record there, maybe. You know, I mean, that's where they're at. Look, what Baltimore's doing better than what they haven't done, it, better than at any point this season, Clay, they are running the football. And I know Lamar Jackson is a big deal as part of that. But for the past two weeks, 242 and 267 yards on the ground, and they rolled over the Raiders even without Alex Collins. And, 20, you know, 22 minutes of time of possession in the second half. I mean, so, they're, so this offense is playing better with Lamar Jackson. That run-pass element is something that's catching teams off balance and listen Joe Flacco wasn't exactly as we know setting the world on fire anyway so my impression is they're going to continue to ride with him we know that Joe's probably a goner in 2019 probably and I say probably his salary cap situation play they made such a huge mistake extending his contract back in 2016 it will cost them a boatload of dead money to to cut Joe Flacco or to trade him in 2019 but it's something that they're going to have to do because I think that the ship has sailed on his time with the Ravens
Ravens, and we'll see. You know, listen, John Harbaugh, he's coaching for his job. There's no time to wait for Joe Flacco anymore. He's got to ride with Lamar Jackson. I think that's what you'll end up seeing. Which are you more confident in right now? The Patriots, who looked a little bit wobbly but got the win over the Jets coming out of the bye week after getting whipped by the Titans, or the Steelers, who are 1-1 one one in their past two on the road but looked pretty bad against the Jags and then looked pretty bad again against the, uh, against the Broncos in terms of making winning plays? Which one are you more confident in coming down the final five weeks of the season? Oh, I'm confident in the Patriots. I mean, look, and, and the way they did it yesterday, by the way, 215 yards on the ground against the Jets, that's the highest total since 2014 against the Colts. Remember the Jonas Gray game? When, when Jonas Gray had that, that <laughs> yes, huge vaguely, game? Yes, vaguely, yes. But the Colts, yeah, well, of course. I mean, no one has seen Jonas Gray ever since. He is on a, you know, America's most wanted, like, missing persons list because he had that one great game and that was about it. But for the Patriots, being able to give Tom Brady help like that because the passing game is struggling is tremendous. They always play. It's always tough with them against the Jets on the road, and they still won by two touchdowns. I mean, and they still covered the spread, and 97% of the money in Vegas yesterday was coming in on the Patriots, and they delivered, so a lot of happy folks right there. You know, their, their schedule really evens out. You know, they're home against the Vikings, they're at Miami, at Pittsburgh, and then after that, home against Buffalo, home against the Jets. So if they can survive these next three weeks, they're putting themselves in great position to play at home and play. First, Pittsburgh has to beat New England, something that they just simply don't do. Then on top of that, you've got to try to get home field advantage. You've got to get the Patriots out of Foxborough. They have never made a Super Bowl playing on the road in the postseason under Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. You can get them out of Foxborough, you've got a chance to beat them. But if they're playing up there, it's going to just make it that much tougher. So, I mean, I just think New England is the more consistent team heading toward December. Are the Colts going to make the playoffs? Sure looks like it, right? And, and listen, what a big-time comeback. And, of course, you know, Dolphins fans are just banging their heads against the wall watching Adam Gase, you know, in his play calling in the fourth quarter, which was absolutely disastrous. You know, again, a, a little, you know, little bit of a tougher schedule. You know, they're at Jacksonville this week, at Houston after that, home against the Cowboys, then home against the Giants and at Tennessee. So they put themselves in good position. Andrew Luck is playing brilliantly right now, as we know. 30-37 yesterday, 81.1% on the completion percentage right there. Throwing at least three touchdown passes in eight straight games. That is the second longest streak of at least three touchdown passes in a game in NFL history. So, I mean, he, you know, Tom Brady's the guy who has the record with 10. I mean, the guy's just been absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, I mean, Eric Ebron, he's getting stuff out of him that no one else has been able to get on offense, and the defense is sound. I mean, you know, a lot of – and that speaks volumes about a guy that we got to talk about, Clay, real quick. Matt Everflus, their defensive coordinator. I know that offensive coaches are the flavor of the month. This guy, Clay, in about two years is probably going to be an NFL head coach. He was a Cowboys linebackers coach, did a great job there with Sean Lee, Jalen Smith, Anthony Hitchens during his time in Dallas. Got the chance to be a defensive coordinator. He was supposed to be working with his buddy Josh McDaniels, but Josh left him high and dry. The Colts wanted to keep him. Frank Reich wanted to keep him. And playing that Tampa, too, they've done an outstanding job. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that they're, they're – out of the six, you know, the teams that we've got that were 5-5 five and five entering yesterday, I like Indianapolis' chances. It's amazing. Of course, they could have done themselves a favor by playing for the tie – against the Houston Texans in week four, and you ask anyone in Houston, if Houston ties that game and goes to 0-3-1, and they're not getting hot. They're not doing what they're doing right now. And, you know, winning seven straight games after an 0-3 start, no team in NFL history did that. Colts made a big mistake there. We'll see if it's going to cost them at the end of the year. Titans-Texans, uh, Monday night. Do you buy into the Texans as pulling away in this division? It's something interesting. I, I don't know how much attention you pay to the line and what you uh, what you do, but the uh, the 
the Texans were around a seven-point favorite. That line came back to three and a half. It's kind of sitting right around there. Do you think the Titans uh, will be competitive in this game, or do you think the Texans win their eighth in a row? I think the Texans win their eighth in a row, and, and, and some of it's going to be because it's just going to be so emotionally charged there. Now, we've seen emotionally charged Texans before. Remember week one in 2017 when they opened their season at home following Hurricane Harvey, and they got absolutely smoked by the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, you know, they got to be careful and not, not get too wrapped up in all the pregame emotion and then just be completely flat the rest of the game. But I just think, you know, primetime game for the Texans. I, I also feel like the, the, in the wake of Bob McNair's passing, going to be a lot of emotion wanting to win one for this guy. And I just think the Titans are just a limited team. Uh, they really are. I mean, they're still in the process of rebuilding this team to the image of what they want. You know, on both the offensive and defensive side of the football, the secondary, Malcolm Butler, has not lived up to that big money contract on offense. You know, Derrick Henry doesn't really fit into what they're trying to do there on, on offense. I mean, he's a, he's a closer, but really, Deion Lewis is more their guy. They're okay at wide receiver. Corey Davis is stepping up a little bit. You know, he's actually 19 yards away from his first 1,000-yard season. I, I just think Houston's a better team, and, and kudos to Bill O'Brien for keeping everything together when it looks like it was all going to fall apart you know I'm, I'm not I haven't been the huge Bill O'Brien fan through the years but I give him credit for the first time working with the general manager he gets along with and Brian Gain and they've got the team headed in the right direction Drew Brees and the Saints uh with I know they played on Thursday night but you've watched and covered Drew Brees for a long time in this league are you yep. stunned by how good he is this year and also Philip Rivers who we haven't even talked about I mean both of those guys in their 30s, upper 30s, Drew Brees is 39. He's the exact same age as me. Uh, I, I believe that Phillip Rivers is 37-ish. Um, why is it that these guys are both having career years at the exact same time? I think one of the reasons is, is you know, continuity with the people, the offensive coordinator. And this, I put it out on Twitter last night, and you know, I, Ken Wisenhunt, I think, is going to reenter the head coaching mix. Believe it or not, I know Clay, he was terrible with the Tennessee Titans. You know, his time in Arizona didn't end well either. But look at the numbers that are being put up by the Chargers. And I just think Phillip Rivers, look, he has great weapons at his disposal. Don't get me wrong. They've shored up the offensive line. And he's a fantastic passer. But I really think that has something to do with it. That the fact that, you know, look, you, you are so comforted. He knows every week what Ken Wisenhunt wants to call. He's able to give feedback. They just These two work extremely well together. And it was really pivotal when I talked to Anthony Lynn about this for him to have both his coordinators back and get them signed to three-year deals, Ken Wisenhunt and Gus Bradley both. And, you know, look, the Arizona Cardinals are horrendous, right? But what Philip Rivers did yesterday, you know, and think about it, it was a secondary two with Patrick Peterson, you know, and the guy completed 25 straight passes to open the game, 28 of 29. He was, It's just a performance we've never seen before in NFL history, so you're right. And as for Drew Brees, again, continuity, Pete Carmichael, Sean Payton, these are guys that, that are so that he's so familiar with where New Orleans has made their big deal is with personnel groupings. And they're, they're able now, because Drew is so comfortable in this offense. Austin Carr said that they had 55 different personnel groupings ready to go against the Atlanta Falcons. 55 different things that they can put out there. Unbalanced lines, three receivers, two receivers, two tight ends, three tight ends, all these different things that they're able to do to try to keep teams off balance. And it's one thing trying to contain a guy like Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram. It's another when you're shuffling guys on and off the field so much or you're getting caught because the Saints hurry up or they put Taysom Hill in the game, you know, throw a curveball at you like that. It's just, you know, and I think that's why Sean Payton's not going to win Coach of the Year. I don't think. I think that's probably a Matt Nagy thing if the Bears continue to, to win and take the division. 
maybe Frank Reich, but I think this has been Sean Payton's best coaching job ever based upon what we've seen from Drew Brees and, and based upon the way that he's kept teams off guard. We're, this is a type of offense. I know the Rams get attention and the Chiefs as well, but this Saints one is so unique because of all the different things they're doing from an X and O standpoint. Outstanding stuff as always. Go follow him on Twitter at Alex Marvez. Alex, we'll talk to you next week, and we'll only have uh, four weeks left in the season by the time we talk next week. Don't don't make me cry, Clyde. Please, thank you. <laughs> it's Alex Marvez. Go follow him on Twitter, like I said, at Alex Marvez. Final segment of the show up next. Get your popcorn. It's Urban Meyer and it's Jim Harbaugh talk. This is Outkick the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. A message from Welch's Grape Juice. The Concord Grape is the perfect grape. It needs no added sugar or added flavor. It's also the perfect size and consistency for being smashed, crushed, ground up, and pulverized into delicious antioxidant-rich juice. The world's toughest antioxidants, Welch's, tough as grapes as the West Coast wakes up. I'm sorry, another year of Clay Helton, and I floated this conspiracy theory out a while ago. Urban Meyer leaves Ohio State at the end of this year, sits out for a year, and then takes over at USC. Tell me it doesn't fit completely his pattern of what Urban Meyer has done historically. Leaves Florida with health issues, sits out for a year, gets well, goes and takes Ohio State. What did Urban Meyer do when he went to Ohio State? He brought the SEC to Ohio. He brought the same pattern and same blueprint that worked at Florida, and he took it to the Big Ten at a time when the Big Ten was incredibly weak. And since that time, the Big Ten has risen up some, although they haven't quite gotten to the level of Ohio State. Ohio State has SEC-caliber athletes. They go down south. They bring up and supplement what Ohio produces. And Ohio State has the most athletic and skilled team in the Big Ten. Now, doesn't mean necessarily they're going to play well. I don't even know necessarily that they're the best coach team in the Big Ten by any stretch of the imagination. He doesn't have the Urban, uh, Urban Meyer does not, the dominance that Nick Saban has established at Alabama. Where Nick Saban's got the best players and he's also got the best coaches. And by best coaches, I mean they've got him. And everything that he puts into place works flawlessly. But if Urban left after this year, set out for a year, what job would be coming open in the weakest major conference in America, USC, the Trojans? Would the USC advantage if Urban Meyer brought the same platform, the same blueprint to USC that he used at Florida and that he used at Ohio State work at a very high level in the Pac-12? Yes, I think it would. I think Urban Meyer, if you follow his sort of tradition and what he has done, there's at least that idea that's out there. Now, what might upset that apple cart of expectation here? The beatdown that Ohio State put on Michigan. You don't hear me say it a lot. I want you to listen closely. I was wrong when I said that I thought Michigan had cut into the Ohio State dominance in the Big Ten. Michigan looked slow. They looked unathletic. They looked plodding. They looked like a traditional Big Ten team does when they play against an SEC team. When you watch that game on Saturday, 
it wasn't just that Michigan lost because Michigan could have lost 17 to 14. They could have lost 21 to 17 and you could have said, you know what? Michigan is what I thought they were, but credit to Ohio State. They found a way to win at the shoe at home. They gritted one out. This wasn't that. This was utter domination. This was Ohio State kicking Michigan right in the teeth and running circles around them. This was what we saw for so many years when the SEC teams would go up against Big Ten teams. This was Michigan being exposed as a fraudulent, slow, unathletic football team in comparison to the teams that are dominating college football right now. This would have looked the same against Oklahoma. It would have looked the same against Clemson. It would have looked the same against Alabama. It would have looked the same against Georgia. All of the best teams right now in college football have dynamic offensive skill position players. Not sure about Notre Dame. Notre Dame's a good football team. They beat Michigan, but they won a Big Ten-style football game against uh, Michigan. Remember, Vanderbilt went on the road and was throwing, driving late to try to beat Notre Dame. Vanderbilt lost by five points against Notre Dame on the road, and arguably, if Kalijah Lipscomb makes the catch, sorry for the few Vanderbilt fans out there, if they make the catch that they should have on fourth down, I think that Vanderbilt would have gone into Notre Dame and won right there in their stadium. So I'm not sold on Notre Dame necessarily. Notre Dame's in the playoff. No need to worry about that. But I'm not sold that they're on the same caliber of offensive skill as Clemson, Alabama, as uh, as Oklahoma, and as, in theory, Ohio State was against Michigan. This was a beatdown. I don't think even that Michigan can call their game against Ohio State a rivalry right now. People say, oh, hey, it's a huge rivalry. Ohio State-Michigan's a huge rivalry. No, no. It was a huge rivalry in the 1900s. It ain't been a huge rivalry in the 2000s. And I think you have to judge rivals based on how they do over a 20-year period. And right now, over the last 15 years, do you know how many times Michigan has beaten Ohio State? One time. Do you know who was the coach when Michigan beat Ohio State by six? When they got that one win in the last 15 years? Luke Fickle. In the last 15 years, Michigan has not beaten a full-time Ohio State coach. The only person they beat was an interim, Luke Fickle, and they only won that game by six points, and they gave up 34. This is not a rivalry. Ohio State owns Michigan. Urban Meyer might as well pick up Jim Harbaugh and put him in his front pocket because he's carrying him around like he's a little brother. Michigan's rival is, there we go. There's the Urban Meyer chant. It's well-deserved today. I've been critical of Urban Meyer, but when you hang 62 on your hated rival, it ain't a rivalry anymore. Michigan got exposed. Jim Harbaugh is not close to winning a championship. Ohio State may not win a championship, but they have an SEC-caliber team, and they took it to Michigan, just like the Big Ten used to get it taken to it back in the day by the SEC. My name is Clay Travis. This has been OutKick. Go download the podcast. Appreciate you spending your Monday morning with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. 
No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 